stay off the drugs. Because, um, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know what you're taking, but I could use some in my car. I, um, I, I, I'm taking whiskey. This episode sponsored by Tomatin Whiskey. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know that. Which is good. It's very good. It's very, very good. Um, it's, it's a fine. It's a fine choice. We are actually broadcasting from a less oppressive Melbourne mm-hmm. this week. Um, of course, you don't technically live in Melbourne, according to the authorities. No, um, <laughs> I'm rural. Um, fortunately for you, but like we, we businesses are reopening in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, bars, cafes, restaurants. Um, apparently, there were lines to, at Kmart to get in. Uh, you probably would have experienced some of this in your world being a, being a retail employee. I did not experience the lines waiting to come in or the tears of joy. I experienced civility, which is very strange considering the 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 pressure build up before before places were open, and um, especially. You know, we're opening up into the Christmas season. So I was expecting people to be mad and crazy, but they were sort of like, oh, I'm so glad you're open. This is lovely, isn't it? Like, yes. Have we yes. learned a little bit of humbleness? I, it'll pass. It'll pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm expecting it, the, the fangs to come out over the weekend. Let's say we are, of course, because we are now mm. open. We are now able to get on the beers. Get on the beers. I loved that uh, that fake picture of him having a <laughs> line of coke. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not gonna, if we're uh, our international and, and interstate listeners, I, I probably wouldn't make a lot of sense at the um, the uh, at the start of a whole thing. The state's premier, which is I guess for an American, would be called their governor, yeah. um, said, uh, "Now is not the time to get on the beers." And so it sort of became a, a catchphrase there for a while to a point Pretty where much, yeah. we have a day when he announced restrictions were coming down. Uh, I think the first question someone asked him is, does that mean now is time to get on the beers? Uh, <laughs> um, I do have a get on the beers T-shirt somewhere. I just don't know where it is. Um, it seems appropriate. But um, it, it's, a, it's fine. It's, the only thing that's a bit annoying is that we're just talking off air. But cinemas are not included in the roadmap to reopening. Which doesn't make any sense. So, as I said, restaurants and cafes are allowed to open now, I think. So yeah. um, I'm going out for dinner next Thursday um, for my uh, one of my other little projects, the Steak Nights, where we go on reviewing Steak Nights in Melbourne. Um, but you're allowed to sit at a table and have a meal without a mask and have a conversation within a, you know, um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But sitting in a dark room, socially distanced from the other people, obviously, most likely with a mask on. Yep. Not talking. Yep. That's not okay. Nope. And so not okay that that's been that's been pushed right back to gyms and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah. but churches, you're allowed to sing in church. Yep. Which obviously, you know, I mean, we aren't the church going folks. I'm not dissing people who want to sing in church, but singing is actually really bad for COVID, right? Like you're yeah, you're projecting out, yeah. And so singing in church is fine, but sitting in the dark watching a movie is not okay. Mm-hmm. And a really frustrating oversight from the, my employer, technically. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's difficult to criticise, but, you know, it's a frustration. But we were just saying one of the upsides, I guess, of, of the COVID situation um, is the drive-ins are now open in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Well, they're opening tonight. Uh, and open air cinemas, of which there are a couple, and we are now moving in the summer, so theoretically that makes them a little bit more acceptable. But we've got some real classic movies coming out again at the at the, at the 
few movie displaying institutions around the drive-ins. So yeah. I have tickets to go see The Matrix on at the drive-in on Monday. Also playing is Michael Keaton's Batman, Starship Troopers, The Big Lebowski. Um, this is I'm actually really enjoy. I'm liking this. I'm liking the trend. It's it's great. I wonder if it's going to be like almost drive-ins are going to be kind of become the retro cinemas in a way because the other cinemas are going to obviously want to go yeah let's get those disney branded products back in let's get marvel let's get warner brothers all of that stuff but yeah i think they go back to i mean they're showing first run movies you know the trolls movie the new russell crowe movie uh, are playing at the uh, playing at the driving and stuff. So once there's new shit to show, I'm sure they'll show it. Like, yeah. um, it, uh, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be, we, we talked about this a couple of months ago, where like Jaws and Jurassic Park were fighting it out for the number yeah. one po- that spot at the US box office. Like, that's a tough of, time for Steven Spielberg. Oh, uh, I'm sure he still gets money. Um, of course he does. <laughs> but does he need it though? Is the question. But it, it's. Um, I think we're gonna. The, the upside is. We're going to probably, probably be in this kind of situation for a while. We've talked a few times about the fact that there's no new product coming anytime soon. The only the next new product that might come out is is Wonder Woman 1984, which apparently Warner is still committed to, to releasing this year, but we'll see if that actually happens. Um, James Bond has been pushed back next year. Yeah. Widow has been pushed back next year. All those productions that were in the can, we're in the, you know, in the pipeline are now six months behind. Yeah. So we'll take a while to catch up. So, you know, talk what you're, when will American cinemas reopen? They've had their biggest week ever in COVID cases. So yeah. uh, depending on what happens in the election next week, but you know, I, I, I'm sort of, what I'm thinking is that we may not see a lot of new products until, until us cinemas are open, which obviously is the biggest market in the world. I mean, yeah. are they going to release a black widow, in australia and you know japan and new zealand only kind of thing um, well we're, we're you're going to be talking about it a little bit later they had the the semi-stealth release of the borat sequel on amazon prime and um, i was reading an article today that it took huge huge numbers in the first 48 hours of it being of millions, yeah yeah and uh, Mulan got released on Disney Plus to very successful results, apparently. I've heard the opposite, actually. Uh, well, there you go. We've got the spectrum covered for you all. I don't know. It's, I had a lot of people who were upset that they had to pay extra to watch it, which I think is a, is a shit deal for Disney. I agree. I mean, unless it's sort of like you're, you're paying to buy, but for one movie that you don't even know if you want to have it for forever, it's... That's a that's a, a raw deal. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't like. I, I don't Plus think I would. If it, I I don't subscribe to Disney Plus, and I can't think of. I can't think of a movie that would make me go. Mm, an extra thirty bucks on top of the money I already yeah. pay. I I will pay an extra thirty dollars just to watch this for a couple of days or something. Do they own it? Do you own it if you pay thirty five bucks? I don't know. I, I don't know, and that's the thing. It is a one hell of a price hike as well. I mean, you can legitimately just buy it from other platforms for less than that and i just don't understand how or why i mean disney plus definitely has got the market corner for nostalgia because if you want any of those disney things there's only one place you can go now yeah 
their that's their bread and butter. Um, they're not exactly pushing out lots of new content for it. They've got, they've got, they've got the Mandalorian, which obviously is people, a lot of people are very much looking forward to. But yeah. other than that, that's kind of their their thing, right? That's yeah. the real notable thing I can think of. It's actually come out on Disney Plus apart from Alarm. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if the Black uh, Black Widow movie could end up going in there if if the COVID cases keep going bad over in the US, perhaps. But I don't think they want to release something a part of their banner series where every single one is pretty regularly hitting 800 900 billion dollars at the box office well there was a story this week that um i think apple tv had tried to buy the rights for the new james bond film um i can i can imagine that and i think the number and do not quote me i didn't i just skimmed the article but i think Mm. it was 500 600 million dollars that were offering Something like that, I think. That, do you correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners? Because I could be, I could have made that up. But like, but um, they're offered a, a lot of money. Yeah. Speaking Ooh. of Apple, Apple TV Plus, I upgraded to the iPhone 11. Um, I'm not willing to mortgage my house for a new phone, so I'm not getting the 12 yet. But um, they gave me a year's free subscription to Apple TV Plus, and. My God, we talked about it when it first released, and we talked about some of the shows like um, the uh, the one with Jason Momoa. We talked about the M. Night Shyamalan one. There was uh, the comedy uh, series uh, uh, Return to Ravensburger or something like that. Um, and there is nothing on that platform new. There's there's nothing. It, oh, was that one show? I, it was a, I spent I being to the entire series. The new the morning show one of Jennifer Anderson that was yeah, really good. But there's nothing new on that, and it's like they've got four vaguely memorable shows, um, and they it seems so barren. It's like okay, why are you offering this service? I I don't get it. I don't know what you're offering because the the big thing that they seem to be pushing at the moment is the new um, war movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, a Greyhound. That's been out for months. Yeah. So it's like, wow, that's that's still the thing that they're pushing. They haven't got any new shows that they've bought up from anywhere or they've not bought up the rights like Netflix have done with so many movies where they just slap it on and say, yep, we'll we'll put that out. There's a new Bill Murray movie I've seen being promoted on YouTube a lot. Oh, yeah, the new Sofia Coppola. I don't know anything about it at all. So I don't know if it's any good, but... I'll get around to it, considering I've got a year's worth of this subscription for free. Well, but... I mean, yeah, it's it's maybe it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question you ask. I mean, they've kind of walked into a very crowded market. I mean, yeah. we said this about Disney when it happened. Disney seemed to have yeah. done quite well out of it. I mean, Disney kept walked into the market with um with uh, Prime, Netflix, Hulu, yeah, the Stan. CBS one, you know, Showtime, you know, NBC one in the States at least, and then Disney said, I'll oh, have a piece of that, please. Yeah. And they seem to have done okay out of it, so maybe we're wrong. But the coming of Apple being kind of the last man of the table on this one, yeah, uh, a lot of the good shit is kind of locked out. Like, I mean, it's quite a fascinating – this isn't what we were supposed to talk about, but it is quite a fascinating <laughs> um, way the industry's gone, right? I think we saw it happening is that, like, things like Seinfeld and Friends are yeah. insanely valuable properties to have on, on your – service now is because like you can go hey we, i mean you see people promoting i don't even know which service friends is on now but you, they've certainly used it it's sort of it's a, on netflix the netflix so it's, yeah. okay and so i know that commands a massive massive 
fee mm-hmm. to, to license that for a few years. Yeah. Steinfeld got licensed to um, Prime, I think, for a shit ton of money. I think so, yeah. So it's, it's it, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's great for those creators, like Jerry Seinfeld and uh, the, the, uh, the Friends crew, I'm sure, are still getting residuals for oh, their work. Of course. Um, so they're probably getting more money now than they were 25 years ago when the show was on, first run. <laughs> um, but it's like all the good shit's kind of like locked in now. So yeah. Apple and- walking in kind of got to produce their own shit because there's nothing left to buy. I guess they also had the the misfortune because them and Disney came to market at very similar times, whereas Disney had been for the year or two years prior to launch been going, oh, yeah, Netflix's um, contract on our um, properties has come to an end. We're not going to renew that because we're going to put it on ours. And they've been able to stockpile all of their own stuff for this kind of uh, down memory lane backlog of classics that everyone loves whereas apple came out brand new people and then they got what maybe six months before covid hit and everything shut down so any productions that were kind of like oh yeah this is going to be our big fall 2020 release for for the platform shit we don't have it anymore (laughs) it's bad timing for them as well and disney are kind of a they own a shit ton of ip but yeah. they have, they, I mean, they, have, they basically stockpile IP. Yeah. So, I mean, while obviously they, they had to share it, selling it out for a while, they obviously had a long-term plan to bring it all back in-house. Mm, of course. Uh, and, like, they can go, well, we're going to make a Star Wars TV show because they own it, right? They can make, I'm oh, going to make an Indiana Jones TV show. They own it, right? We're going to make a shit ton of Marvel TV shows. <sighs> they own it. Yeah. Um, Apple don't have that kind of background in IP. Obviously, Apple do a number of things very well, though. You know, we've had this discussion before. Like, I have a discussion quite regularly. I don't understand why people lock themselves into that ecosystem because I don't like it, but it's their own. But they make great hardware, right? It's good stuff. Yeah. And they change the game. Yeah. In phones, in online music, and, you know, apps and stuff. I mean, they've just been at the forefront of so much shit over the years. But TV always seems a strange place to feel, a strange feel for them to want to play in. Yeah. I always thought that before they went into TV, they were going to go into video games. And, you know, there's so many times, um, especially when um, the Nintendo Wii U, first year or so of that, when it was really, really bad, people were kind of saying, oh, I can't, uh, you know, Apple must be knocking on the door of Nintendo's going, hey, yeah, want to partner up with us and we'll... uh, will help create the next console, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, Nintendo do what Nintendo do, and they bounce back, and they did something different to everyone else, and they made a success out of it. But that just kind of made more sense to me, especially with the the pairing of the unusual twists and turns that Apple have done with products and their design and things like that, and the, the quirkiness of Nintendo. That seems more of a fit than the Hollywood machine. It's interesting. It's like I think people. I think Apple people. People have a very limited though memory lifespan of Apple because they've kind of been on a hot streak for a while, right? They yeah. But they had the iPod, then you know they had the iPad, the iMac, the iPhone. Well, no one really gives a shit about their computers. They've always been okay at what they do with computers. It was the iPod, iPad. Yeah, they were iPad. popular though. Maybe yeah, sort of, but like Colors and things like that. The real game changer though was their their mobile devices, the iPod, oh, yeah. iPad, iPhone, iTunes, you know, and their the um, yeah, the um, their, so on and so forth. That's kind of yeah. been their, their been, it's been a hit parade. You're right, and their their actual fit there, you know, their computers, their laptops and stuff are still very successful and a very expensive mm-hmm. and highly prized for certain people. Yeah. Um, 
but so it's just been a hot streak for them for about 15, 16 years now. Um, they haven't really put a foot wrong. Not really. Um, when you look at, say, one of their competitors, Google, uh, you're also insanely successful. Yeah. There's an entire fucking Wikipedia page of abandoned projects that Google have, you know, like Google Wave, Google Glass. And that's just two I'm thinking off off the top of my head. There's a shit ton of others. There's Google Stadia. will be on that page before long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if it, uh, I mean, is that just the case that Google try more stuff? Um, probably. Uh, yeah. But, you know, eventually Apple were going to come up you know, uh, snake eyes, so to speak. They can't be yeah, that's fair. They can't be good at everything. I mean, they're still very successful phone maker, despite the competition from everybody else, and despite you know the fact that they're the most expensive ones. Yeah, um, and that's maybe why they're successful. They just know understand that product so well because they fucking invented it. Yeah, um, but you know, there's always going to be one where they just sort of could, they didn't do quite as well in, and maybe this is their, boo -boo. <laughs> maybe this is their maybe this is their Google Glass. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe who knows but you know what we have deviated on a interesting if very unplanned segue that never happens never it never happens in the show we are professionals through and through and we have our scripted conversational points and we'd never stray <clears throat> now ladies and gentlemen yes last week we watched the technically beautiful whimsical Coraline and um, the voice of the cat was by Keith David and he was our connection to this week's um, chain movie which is the 1982 classic The Thing. I would just like to call out there's um, Honest Trailers on YouTube if you're not watching it I highly recommend it it's a great mm. YouTube channel um, mm. just yesterday released an Honest Trailers episode on Coraline they really are listening to our show. Um, and they had one good point, and I just like to give us nod to the film from last week. Uh, they said they, they freeze-timed on the credits of um, the director's name. was his name? Henry um, Selick. Henry Selick and said, Football, a poor man's Tim Burton. Uh, for all your great talent, you'll always be a poor man's Tim Burton. He goes, actually, you know what? Considering Tim's uh, output this year, Tim Burton's a poor man's Henry Selick. Yes. Um, and I'm like, yes, that is 100% right. Sorry, he gave me getting the big budgets, but, you know, he's done better stuff this century than, uh, than Tim. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, the thing. Um, the thing. The the John Carpenter classic, the Kurt Russell icon, one of the true stalwarts of horror sci-fi. Oh. It, it's another fascinating thing that uh, um, if you look at the IMDb page, it's got an 8.1, mm. but the Metacritic score was 57. Yeah. Uh, and you look at the, you go, you click on it and have a close look. There's only 13 critic reviews because it's, you know, 30, 30 years old now. Yeah. Uh, 40 years old, sorry. Um, and there's one, two, three, four 100s there. So four perfect scores. Yeah. And you get down to the bottom, and there were two very poor scores from uh, a couple of New York Times and Chicago Reader. Um, Obviously, it really um, split audiences at the time, but um, what was interesting to read in the trivia was it came out at a very similar time shortly mm. after Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, it would which have. Which, by the same token, also was, I don't know if it's actually quite as critically panned, but um, it was uh, also considered a, an absolute flop mm. when it came out. Um, so it's got it had an 84 meta score, so much better. But the same IMDb score, 8.1. But um, it, another 
film it was a complete flop apparently yeah. and is now remembered as you know an icon yeah of, of science fiction not horror but science fiction cinema um yeah. and has also had a, a sequel uh come out where we had a prequel but you know um i found that one interesting. was worthwhile one was not um the, the other little interesting tidbit of information I, I realized from watching it today was like I was watching it this afternoon and straight away the score came in. I was and I was trying to pay close attention this time to things I don't normally pay attention to of this film. And the score was like instantly like this is so John Carpenter. Then yeah. you take a look, and John Carpenter didn't score this film. Um anyway, Mark, who got nominated for a fucking Razzie for it. What? He was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Score. Oh, my God. It's wonderful. It's outstanding. And I'm like, wow. the, the interesting little tidbit, to the, 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 the footnote to that is that unused portions of his score were used for The Hateful Eight. Of this and the, this score was used for The Hateful Eight, Hateful Eight because, of course, Ennio wow. Morricone scored The Hateful Eight as well. Yeah. He won a fucking Oscar for that. Jesus, talk about weird. Um, and I was just like, whoa, those Razzie guys get it wrong sometimes. Oh, I yeah. Hope they, I hope they fucking send him a letter of apology a few years later because, like, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, I like I said, it was like instantly there's a score comes in. I'm like, this is so reminiscent of, like, Escape from New York. It's so John. Yeah. Not, not as synthy, but, you know, it was just noticeably John Carpenter-esque. Yeah. Uh, and then you go, oh, Morricone did this. I didn't know Morricone. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but what a great, I mean, what a great achievement in the sense that he obviously has his own style, being mm-hmm. a fucking genius himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's basically going, well, no, this is a Carpenter film, and this is the, you know, I, I, he obviously tipped his hat to Carpenter and thought, thought I'm going to make the kind of score that John would have made anyway. Um, but it, it was instantly noticeable. Was a few times in the film, I was watching it today, going. Jesus score kicks ass. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of the very best openings to a movie to get you in the mood of what type of film this is. This is a movie about suspense and isolation and just the simplicity of that almost heartbeat of boom 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 boom. And then the slow music just coming in that synth, but not being as kind of like 80s prog rocky as you get with like classic John Carpenter theme songs. This one is just almost like a moan and it just goes and it's so simple, but so fucking iconic. And then it opens up to the bleak nakedness of Antarctica. It's like, oh, shit. Okay, th- yeah, I'm I'm lonely. This this is this is this is isolation. This is this captures the character of the movie so well. It, it's a wonderful over I mean, uh, the other thing that I quickly learned to, to to appreciate watching this again today was, and I think I don't think I've noticed it quite so much before. Mm. How good the cast is! Oh my um, god! I'm not quite aside from the fact the acting is amazing, but just the casting themselves. So without them saying anything or doing anything. Does the cast look like the kind of guys, I imagine, who would be occupying a Antarctic outpost, right? They're not. Well, yeah, that was part of my problem maybe with the, um, the 2011 film, apart from the fact that it was boring. Um, apart from Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is, I think, the show's favourite actress. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, even she was even good in Birds of Prey. No one yep. was good in Birds of Prey. Yep. Um, was, but everybody in that film was good looking. Yeah. They, they're, they're young and they're handsome and too. So like healthy physiques and things like that. Whereas you got like, and the, the fact that you, you the, all of the characters kind of came in so good and they just had their own little quirks that's sort of like, yeah, I can believe that. I mean, the the chef rolling around on roller skates hmm. and the the other pilot who's just rolling a doobie and talking about chariots of the gods and things like that it's they're they're fully well-rounded characters they're sort of like yeah i believe that guy has been there for the, for just a short period of time but he's done it before and he knows what to do and he's sick and tired of it it's just and i feel like the characters tell stories just by the way they look yeah, and 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 their, their outfits and stuff, like that big hat that Kurt Russell wears. Yeah, um, it kind of says something. Over the the fact that um, Windows has that denim jacket he wears all the time. It looks like kind of like a motorcycle jacket. Yeah, and it kind of like just the way they look tells me a lot about them. It's like generic scientist dude one, generic good looking scientist dude two. Yeah, you know, um, they they look like, and you know, then there's the um. The older guy, I think the character's name, but he's got the white hair and he's got the almost military style outfit he wears all the time. And you know, again, that kind of reflects his character. And straight away, he doesn't need to say anything or do anything. But the yeah. way he, he looks and what he's wearing tells you something about that character. And you kind of feel like you start to know that character yeah. without them actually having to say or do anything. And I kind of think that really helps build these. Um, help sort of build it up and build the story and you, but obviously it's an incredible script as well of course yeah. but uh it, it's also quite sort of you sort of very instantly recognizable oh, that's the, the the military-ish kind of dude and has a yeah. you know the windows like, is a service revolver yeah uh we're gonna distribute some discipline around here you know um none of the movie stars apart from kurt russell yeah i mean even keith david he's a known character um, but he's not a superstar. Kurt Russell is, and he's kind of, he's one of the very, very few people who has managed to successfully trans transition from child actor to a successful leading man to um, one of the stalwarts of aged actors out there. He's still fucking amazing. I mean, he was great. Father Christmas on Netflix. Jesus, he's good at that. I didn't see that one. <laughs> he's actually good at it. Well, you and I, a couple of years ago, we went and saw The Hateful Eight. It was the second mention of it. But like mm -hmm. we saw it at the at the, at the the Astor here in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, and instantly watching it, I'm like, this is the thing. I, I hadn't read and when the yeah. new Tarantino being the fanboy I am. I don't read anything about it. I don't read reviews. I don't listen to podcasts. I just can't put my head down until I can see the film and make up my own mind about it. Because yep. I just want to drink it all in. Mm -hmm. Um but as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is the thing. Yeah. This is the thing in the Old West. And then you you, you look into it and Tarantino made them watch it. Uh, and Morricone used, like I said before, music from the thing. And it's like, yeah, of course it was the thing. And, you know, um, it's such an influential story. But even 35 years later, you know, possibly the most influential director in Hollywood is remaking it. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, come on. The, the, what is the hateful eight except isolationism in a frozen wasteland where no one trusts anyone? And, and he even cast like, Kurt Russell in it again. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, you know what? Um, 
let's let's just review some of the best movies about isolationism. Oh yeah, the thing <laughs> done. Thank you. And the whole finger pointing thing, you know, pointing your finger at everybody else. Like who's who? Who's on my side? Who's really? No one's really what they say they are. Yeah. In in in, in the hateful eight, and of course that's that's the classic hero. I mean, I don't know too many other films that do as well. Of like, you know, you don't know who's who. Not only whose side are people on, but who are the who are the real people? Yeah. Um. I, as usual, we should probably take a step back. There mm-hmm. might be somebody out there who's not seen this film before. <laughs> it um, is about a penguin that gets lost in Antarctica, meeting an unknown entity. And then it decides, you know, it, it learns a lesson about friendship along the way. Mm-hmm. It's a heartwarming, it's a heartwarming tale. Um, yep. Absolutely, <laughs> everyone survives. <laughs> uh, and the song and dance numbers that are die for. Oh, they're just delightful. I, I mean, neither of us are really musical people, but come on, come on! It's like I'm a real person. Classic song. Classic. Song. <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, let me go uh, is a great song. Um, <laughs> yes. Become with me. It's there, there, there's there's just too many to name. To I, I would enjoy a crossover between Happy Feet and the thing that that I would pay to see. Um, oh well, in that case, let me introduce you to Pingu's The Thing. <laughs> It, it, it's a thing and it's amazing. It's fantastic. So a research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. Um, the only person you've ever heard of probably in it, as we sort of said, Keith David, of course, he was in in uh, Caroline last week. And you'll recognize his voice more than his face, I think. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I think that's Certainly, that's where I know Keith David from most. I mean, his uh, he did the voice of uh, Doctor Facilia in um, uh, the Princess and the Frog. He did, I think, he was the 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 lead gargoyle in the old Gargoyles animated cartoon series. And um, he's yeah, really he, a cool voice. Yeah, yeah. He we we talked about oh, it. Oh, he was the president, Rick and Morty. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, in a couple episodes, uh, it was in Adventure Time, Teenage Mutant mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles. Um, really, really, uh, yeah, really sort of recognizable voice. Wilford, yeah. Wilford Brimley, you, you'll yep. probably recognize if you're an old school movie fan. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was in, he was in Cocoon, wasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, he was. And of course, he was in the famous Diabetes um, TV commercial. Um, <laughs> he won. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, but the rest of them, as I sort of said, what I enjoy about it is they look like real people. Yeah. Uh, and and, and um, I guess the other thing we should probably talk about is that is the special effects, because this is one of the great special effects films of all Practical time. Effects. effects, yeah. Truly a masterclass of it. I mean, the the two, and, and this is one that I really want to go back to, is an American Werewolf in Paris. The, this movie and American Werewolf in Paris have got two of the best monster transformations put to screen. They're phenomenal. They are painful. They are raw. They are visceral. They are real. Um, and they, it's yes, it it's aged a little bit visually now. Looking at it, you kind of go, "Come on, you can see that that's a that's a model that's kind of oozing apart." It's like, yes, but it's fucking terrifying nonetheless. Apparently, John Carpenter, when he made this, he wanted his monster to be, he absolutely wanted to avoid the possibility of a monster looking like a man in a rubber suit, which apparently he didn't like about Alien, um, which is surprising because Alien's amazing. Um, well, when he, you think about Alien, though, in the first Alien movie, there's 
maybe two very quick shots of where you see the full creature and those are the weakest of the shots everything else is kind of close-ups of that xenomorph head or the arms or the tail it's you know show less and it's scarier <laughs> um so and he certainly pulled that off the effects in this film were done by a guy named rob bottom who was 22 at the time of making this film which is quite oh, yeah. remarkable um uh, he's worked on a couple of little things you might have heard of called robocop total recall mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. um Nothing of note, no, 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 no classics there at all. No. Mission Impossible, Fight Club, um, Game of Thrones, you know, just little. So he, he's a nowhere. He's gone nowhere. He went nowhere after yeah. this. He didn't do anything. Yeah. But disgracefully, he's only won a one Oscar, which was a special achievement award for Total Recall, and that doesn't no. really count. No, so it's not an actual Oscar. It's like a pretend Oscar. <laughs> he's only been nominated for one Oscar. And that was for, that? for Legend, which we watched a few months ago. Wow. Um, it did look good. I'll pay that. It did. Like, it did look good. That is uh, true. But, the um, other one that I want to call out from the from the crew is uh, the writer of the script, Bill Lancaster. And um, he's not done much in his career because he died in 1997, aged only 49. But he did create one of the classics that um, so many people love because it was um, a very truthful young person movie, and that is The Bad News Bears. I've never seen it. I never saw this when I was a kid. It was... I I really like it because... um, Well, you know, I'm not going to talk about too much. If you're interested about why I like Bad News Bears, just go and listen to Kevin Smith talk about it because he encapsulates it far better than I ever could. Um, But it's, it's really just one of those it's it's got the initial guise of a feel-good movie and then it kind of goes oh wait no this is based in the real world okay that's sad and brilliant um well i I, i'm not gonna go and see because i don't do children's films but um (laughs) (laughs) it's not a children's movie but it's it's got uh child actors in it and it's I guess one of those old school uh, kind of when you think about kind of the Goonies, think that that kind of kids movie with heavy, heavy quotation marks. I suspect though maybe it would be a film, but if you'd seen it, if it loved when you were young, you might still get something out of it today. The important um, thing is do not watch the new version because that is trash. Um, I will talk to my to my co-host of the Throwback. And we'll see if it qualifies as something she watched because I don't think if she did. Then we can stick it on the list. Um, at the latest episode of the Throwback, which hasn't been released yet, we had to watch. We, we actually haven't been recorded yet. We watched, <sighs> we watched Krull on the weweekend, which you and I watched for oh, the old GNT podcast. God, yeah, my God, that film is awful. Yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. But um, we're off topic, which is, as we what said, it doesn't happen. Mm. Um, so a, a good call. These guys actually. The other story was written by John Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, who also wrote the novel that the film mm. is based on. Who goes there? Um, which was, of course, turned into a Howard Hawks film in 1951. Yeah. Um, which and the director very did not, good. didn't like this. He said it was an advertisement to sell the uh, 
brand of scotch that they uh, jb scotch I think it is <laughs> um yeah that was that was kind of liberally uh liberally shown is it like oh yeah you know what i'm just gonna reach over in front of the camera <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i did have some criticisms of this film i do um <laughs> it is good as it is so i was talking to a friend of a show Dell last night. I'm going to give you his because he didn't agree to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know who I'm talking about. And he has something I call the Dell effect. Mm-hmm. Dell is a very smart guy. And he's, I keep him, he, I, when I play trivia, I like to bring him along because he answers all the science questions, which are not my strength. Um, he so, has a sobering effect, doesn't he? He does, but he's very smart. And so, like, we were talking about this film last night. I was like, we got to talk about it tonight. Mm-hmm. um and he's like ah oh, i didn't like it very much i'm like how did you not like the thing everybody likes the thing right. and he's like oh well you know i didn't like it because there's a uh you know, a, a weapons ban in antarctica so it didn't make any sense that they would all have that many weapons and you'd be like I, I didn't even know that but then again this is the man who we saw gravity didn't like it because it defied the laws of you know orbital physics or something and i'm like I was busy having a good time, not thinking about orbital physics. But, you know, when I yeah. read Neil deGrasse Tyson's criticism of it, you're like, yeah, okay, but like it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the kind of he so say he'll, he'll if a film doesn't make scientific sense, if the science of a film doesn't click, he'll just be out to check out, check out, and go that doesn't make sense, and he's not interested anymore. But I know um, a few people like that, yeah. But that maybe got me thinking though, mm-hmm. like. And he's right, by the way. There, there was a treaty signed in the, in the late fifties where the, no, the Antarctica can't be militarized. What the fuck is this going on at this Antarctic outpost? I mean, they have got a little shit ton of guns. And what kind of Antarctic outpost? What kind of research are they doing down there that requires fucking flamethrowers? Well, there there is the argument that potentially the flamethrowers flamethrowers are used to help thaw ice build up and things like that and clear clear that kind of stuff. So that one could have a practical effect rather than just the military application. But you um, know, flamethrower shoots liquefied petroleum at things. I don't think you would use it. I think I think it would rather than melting the ice, it would like melt the fucking thing you were like and the guns whatever have in dynamite and oh it's like this is crazy the amount of military gear they have at this outpost i mean this is a very very tiny tiny nitpick it's like well what is going on at this outpost did you know but uh gary the uh the former before things happened the former leader of the group his actual surname is macgyver oh right yes yeah, yeah. Don't thank yeah. me. In fact, the moon's gravitational pull. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can uh, get a Molotov cocktail to do. Well, at least quite at one point, we the alien occupies one of the uh, one of the people, and he manages to tunnel under the base and build half a spaceship in about two that's hours. A bit that, that's more of a stretch for me than any amount of munitions that they have in the middle of the Antarctic. The fact that he manages in. Because because time is very fluid in this movie. It is, and you don't know exactly how long this movie takes over the course of a week, four days, six hours. Who knows? It it it, it doesn't matter. But it, but my God, he can mine very nicely, and it's like just this beautiful little work. He's got a workstation down there. It's not just a hole that he's just kind of crafting he's got a crafting station like in fucking and, Skyrim and, 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 and light and shit because it's not dark so yeah, yeah i mean and, very and well. he, he's managed to cobble together from bits of 
a very, very minimal helicopter and so like snowplow to create a very compelling looking little spaceship. Yeah, in no time at all. I mean, like, you know, yeah. as you said, I think that might be the MacGyver descendant um, right there. But the, the, <laughs> this is me being very nitpicky, sort of going, mm. it's very convenient that they have all this weaponry there um, at a scientific research station. Mm. And a whole lot of science seems to be going on it. Um, but it's. Well, uh, I, think, I think it's just an observation station. I guess it's possible, yeah. A lot of people at an observation station. Yeah. Um, we, we don't get a lot of detail about exactly what they're doing there, of course. Um, um, same same is true of in the Norwegian base. They had a lot of shit as well. Like, you know, yeah. uh, let's our place is blown to smithereens and back, and they had, like, a very nasty-looking uh, military rifle at the start of a film. Yeah, um, and, and that, I, I don't know what it was that they cut, basically, very sort of, like, industrial-grade cut the ice block out of as well as like oh yeah we'll, we'll take that with us to antarctica just in case thermite charges as well i mean i i don't know what thermite charges i think they use to blow up buildings or something like that i don't know why you take them to antarctica but like oh i, I think i've spotted something three miles under the ice surface thermite glad we bought it and, you, and everybody laughed at me when i said to pack it um <laughs> It was uh, worth waiting in customs for this one. Uh, it's it, it's um it's back to the special effects for a second. One of my yeah. favorite lines in cinema anywhere is where they one of the, the alien's head pops off a body and grows legs and wanders across the yeah, wanders across the uh, the oh. roof and then to uh, one of the characters to turn and go, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just so good and it's. It's narrative storytelling of the creature's abilities because all, we, all we've seen to that point is it do its weird tendril thing on the, the huskies. And that was brutal and horrible. And the fact that it was literally just dissolving these huskies and seemed to be slowly pulling them into itself. And then you see that it's like, oh, okay, the body's on fire. I'll just vacate the head. Yeah. And then it just keeps on going. And then the next time you see anything from it, it's the Petri dish test, which still looks great. That's amazing, that scene. And, and then it... the, the final bit of this creature's abilities is right near the end where he puts his fucking fingers under the guy's skin in his mouth and you very cool know that he's just kind of throwing shit into his mouth through his flesh. It's terrifying. It's brilliant. It it's horrible. Like I mean, I this is how I don't know how many people's childhoods were scarred by seeing this waiting yeah. down. It's like uh I, I just it's it's a joy mm. to to keep coming back to this film. I yeah. can't recommend it enough. If you somehow manage to make it for your life without seeing the thing, boy, I actually kinda envy you. Yeah. Because you've got a real cinematic treat waiting for you. If you can handle horror films. Absolutely. Uh, I would say this is an absolute zero on the Shea scale uh, yeah. of films to absolutely avoid for the rest of your life if you uh, don't like scary movies um, because this is right up there. Um, yeah. To the point where, like, I watch this again just today and I'm like, I've really got to get the thing board game. And I don't like board games very much. Mm. But there is a thing board game and I'm very tempted Let's 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 play that at some point. Let's play that at some point. I gotta get it. I gotta. Get it. I, I just 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 last week I received. I backed on Kickstarter 
uh, back earlier in the year, a um, Night of the Living Dead board game. Ooh. And so that's all right now. So we've got cool. one to get through, but I, I, the thing board game is always tempting. It was a video game version. came out in 2002. Yeah. And again, I was tempted to go, hmm, I wonder if I can find a, like an emulated copy or something of that because apparently it expands the story out and it is canon, according to John Carpenter. Ooh. Okay. Oh, see, now that makes me want a video game version of Escape from New York. Yeah. Um, that was sort of things like one of my favorite video games of the original Xbox generation, I always come back to this, was the video game version of The Warriors. Because it was amazing. It's a great game. It's a little dated. I went back and played it not so long ago. It's a bit dated now. Yeah. Um, but it was made by Rockstar Yeah. Um, before GTA uh, 4 and, stuff, and sort of became their big thing. But yeah. you can see the DNA. Mm-hmm. Of, of gta in that game um and it's a very gta-esque game um and it, it just does such an amazing job of expanding that story you can feel you can tell the people who wrote that game love that movie yeah they got all the original voice actors back except for the one who passed away um and it's just an incredible game based on a fairly obscure movie like you go talk to people about the warriors and not everyone knows it they probably should um so I was surprised that that hasn't happened more. I mean, I guess that's maybe a little bit hard to sell, right? Like if you put GTA on the front of a box, mm. everyone's going to play it. But I mean, maybe if you put the Warriors on the box, you put the thing in the box, that's probably not as marketable as a, as a game based on the Avengers. True, true. But I was sort of, I, I hope they come back to it one day because I, I thought it was a wonderful way to tell a lot more, of, another part of that story, which we saw mm. in the film. Yeah, there've been there've been a very few times when uh, these movie times have actually been good and worthwhile. Like, um, apparently, the thing is good. Um, there was a couple of the Matrix games that were actually pretty good at expanding that and t- kind of taking it and going in their own routes and uh, sort of like giving you a unique experience. One of the classic um stalwarts of yay it was a licensed game that was actually good is the nintendo 64 golden eye mm. which was fucking amazing i loved it that was less about the um story though that was more about the fact that it was a wonderful first person sh- it was a absolutely a, right. a, a step forward in first person shooters like it was that no one had done that before then well, they ha- I mean, you think of Doom and uh, Duke Nukem and Hexen and those kinds of things. They 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 were around before before. Oh, uh, sure. that was with the dual stick controller, so you controlled the head as well as the body, and that it was no, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. I played it. I remember you stick you, the dual stick. No, controller. Goldeneye was on the N sixty four, which only had one analog stick, and that was when analog stick was innovative. That's right, but it was deep. The, the control. What I'm trying to get was you. you, know, you are right. It was the control mm-hmm. is very different. To, yeah, true. To, to a very different way of controlling because I remember it being thoroughly confused and getting pwned for about six weeks before I really got the hang of how to use that character, which is because it uh, became the way everyone does it afterwards. But That's you're right, true. licensed yeah. games are very rare. And I just like to call out that I'm not going to get the thing board game because it's $467. Oh. I apparently you can't get it anymore. Apparently they don't make it. Um, so holy shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> unfortunate. Wow. Um, yeah, we'll find, mean, find out everything that we need to build our own. 
um, that's very disappointing. Anyway, um, but uh, a real treat to go back to the mm. film thing. Um, now you called. You wanted the next two weeks. You're going to take us somewhere interesting. Where are you taking? Yeah. So next up, we are going to a, another one of my favorites. Another John Carpenter. Another Kurt Russell. This is the underrated Big Trouble in Little China, ladies and gentlemen. We watched this again not so long ago recently, yeah? Not so long ago, yes, but it is an important part to get to where we want to go next the week I after. I think it was like this year, wasn't it? Shh, quiet. <laughs> but this is the Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, James Hong starring classic action adventure comedy martial arts movie stupid western meets eastern uh, stylings uh arguably ahead of its time when you talk to kurt russell and john carpenter about this movie's influence on the matrix um it's it's just one of my absolute delights because kurt russell is so unnecessary to the whole movie basically but it's wonderful. He's kind oh, of. I agree. It's a wonderful film. I, I enjoy it every time. I, um, and again, let's just hope they never remake it. Oh, please. Yeah, because there's still rumors that uh, Dwayne Johnson wants to remake it. Don't do it. You don't need to do it. Just don't do it. Do something else. But that is what we are watching next week, ladies and gentlemen. It is on Prime Video, apparently. Um, so it should be readily available for anyone who wants to watch along and for us ourselves. Mm. Now, Travis, we teased it at the top of the show. You watched Borat 2. I did. Um, it was interesting to see because, like, I... It only really became, you're right, it was, you called it a stealth release. Mm. Really a stealth announcement that the film even was happening. Um, I mean, we sort of vaguely suspected it was happening. I mean, I remember a story a couple of months ago about Sasha Baron Cohen trolling the fuck out of some idiots at a uh, anti-lockdown rally in the States, and they kind of figured he was working on something. But nobody knew what this was. We didn't, is this another season of the uh, the TV show he did? Was it This Is Us or whatever yeah. it was called? Um uh, or is it something else altogether? No one, I don't think actually was clear, but it was a, a new Borat movie. Mm. And that really, I think, only became out in the last couple of weeks, I think, that um, it was a thing. And I think yeah. it was kind of the, the release of the, the Rudy Giuliani thing that kind of confirmed it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so well done to them for keeping it under, under wraps so, so effectively. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden it just dropped on, on Prime. I think the idea being that they wanted it out before the election in the US, considering mm. it, it does display one of Trump's allies in a pretty poor light. But I doubt that makes a great deal of difference to many people. <laughs> um, uh, I thought the original was good. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was amazing. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm i a fan of, of Sasha Baron Cohen, big fan of Sasha Baron Cohen. I'm a big fan of what he does. Mm. Um, as we I think there's no secret that both of us were really saddened when he wasn't uh, wasn't uh, Freddie Mercury. I still hope they make that movie one day, but I don't like his chances considering I, I think uh, the band wouldn't license the music. Um, yeah. But I remember going watching that Die LG show back in the early 2000s and being, <sighs> I used to think it was really good TV. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I've talked about it before, but what I enjoy about it was it was classic humor british humor in the sense that he would take a very respectable figure 
and basically ridicule them without them knowing they were being ridiculed. And that was it's such a classic British thing to do. And oh, especially yeah. with stuff shirts, you take themselves very, very seriously. Yeah. Uh, your politicians and such. And the Borat character was was a lot of fun. So I guess it wasn't um, it, it wasn't surprising, but it, it translated to American TV. But mm. what kind of got me was they were treating it like it was brand new. I'm like, sorry. Been, we, we were on board for this two years ago. Yeah. We, we, we were on board with this with Brass Eye. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, that's a bit of background of my thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel that we needed a second Borat movie, but considering, you know, how famous the character is, mm-hmm. it's not that surprising that they decided to make it. This film is not the equal of the first one. I'll say that much. Okay. Um, where I think it goes wrong for me is – it feels less believable. Um, and I think we talked a, a few months ago about a movie with Eric Andre in it, which I, his name escapes me this moment in time. But it was kind of attempting a similar thing where... Um, oh, uh, yeah. the Yeah, you were talking about... Uh, I'll look into it while you're talking, yeah. But um, it was sort of attempting a similar thing, sort of a, 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 a hybrid between scripted segments and real-life uh, gag grip. Bad trip. Real life, so real life, sort of scripted stuff alongside, you know, uh, spoofs and, 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 you know, trolling people, I guess. Yeah. Uh, real people on the street and, you know, gags and that kind of thing. Um, and it didn't pull it off at all. Like, that film was fucking mm. awful. And I, I turned it off after about half an hour. It was terrible, that movie. Mm. Um, this is no, this is, this is the creme of the creme. This is, you know, this is like, you know, comparing Peter Sellers to Adam Sandler in, in this genre. Oh, can't, you know, yeah. um, so, but where I think it really, one thing the Eric Andre film did better than this one was the gags felt real in that, but the people yeah. he was trolling in the street, the people he was trying, you know, fooling, you the know, it, it felt real. It felt like the stuff I used to see on Jackass back in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was kind of a funny, the only parts of a show that I thought were the film that were good in that, in that bad trip were parts where he was trolling people and it kind of felt ah oh, yeah this guy's for real this is legit uh that guy's definitely has no idea that he's actually in a film at this point mm. didn't quite get that healing quite as often in borat so okay so that's so a number of points there was a character and this is interesting because some news has come out in the last couple of days that kind of made me question this is a um to take a step back he's uh the the, the, the basic the plot of his film is borat is sent back to the united states to try and gift his daughter to Michael Pence um, in order to uh, so Trump will 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 like the Kazakhstani dictator, <laughs> uh, and so um, in the his daughter is played. Just I'll come back to her in a second. His daughter is played by Maria Bakalova, mm-hmm. and at one point he drops her off with a. Despite the fact she's like fifteen, he drops her off with a babysitter. And this babysitter is an African-American grandma who's a real grandma, apparently. And uh, at one point, the babysitter has to drive um, uh, her character is Tuta to a cosmetic surgery clinic where um, Bora has convinced his daughter to get uh, breast augmentation so that um, Rudy Giuliani will like her more. Um, and so they have a conversation on this drive between the babysitter and Tuta about whether or not she should, you know, whether she, you, know, you shouldn't have to do this. You shouldn't be doing this to, you know, just to make a man happy because your dad says you have to. But it's shot so well. Yeah. But like we have two very high quality shots of her uh, from cutting between Tuta and uh, the the old lady whose name escapes me right now. Um, and 
you know, they're cutting between the two of them with these very high quality cameras. It's not like they're um, GoPros or dash cams or anything. Mm. It would be sort of inauspicious or something you might expect when you're just shooting a, you know, a scene between in a, yeah. a documentary. Uh, and um, so that made me go, hmm, how does this woman who's supposedly not in on the joke, how does she not realize she's actually part of a fairly sizable film production? Yeah, it's quite a bit. It's something. It's quite a bit of you know, uh, camera equipment filming this at this point mm. in time. Um, and quite aside from the fact she may not recognize Sasha Baron Cohen, who spends his a lot of her film in different disguises other than the normal Borat disguise. Yeah. Um. So that kind of a couple of things like that that made me go, mm, I'm not sure. I think his people are in on it. Um. And it's actually okay. come out though that she's actually the her pastor has started to go fund me for this, this woman, because apparently she was quite upset that she didn't realize it was a comedy film she was part of and was wow. only paid $3,600 for taking part in it. Wow. It's kind of fucking disgusting because she has a significant amount of screen time and is one of a few um, sympathetic characters in the film. Mm. So, And there's another scene where he goes and stays with a couple of guys in, in this small town for a little while. And, um, again, they're supposedly not in on the joke. But they have to be, surely, you know, the joke. Mm. Um, and so that happened a lot more in this film than in the original Borat. So the original Borat, I was sure half 99% of the time, the people he was taking the piss out of, apart from Pamela Anderson, who apparently was in on it, um, they weren't. They were, you know, right. they, I think this guy is just a weirdo from another country. This time, yeah, I'm not so sure. Mm. But, um, obviously, I can't confirm it, but... It was just my vibe watching it. Um, good things though. Um, yeah. I mentioned Maria Bakalova. Yeah, is fucking incredible in this film. Okay, this is her first American film. She's from Bulgaria, right? And she's going to be a star. Okay. Um, so uh, there's probably been quite a bit of publicity about the. We mentioned it earlier. The stunt with um, uh, Giuliani, mm-hmm. where she sort of says, oh, sort of, "The stories they say she's flirted with him, maybe only vaguely." Where she sort of technically maybe got him into a hotel room and he had his hand down his pants. He was tucking his shirt in, don't you know? <laughs> um, so, but she's she keeps up with Sasha Baron Cohen, which it cannot be an easy task. No. Um, for someone who I imagine English is not her first language. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and apparently he's a big fan of hers as well now, considering. Um, you know, her output in the film. So, and there's a bit of push for her to get another Academy Award nomination. I don't know. This is the kind of film that the Academy is going to give a nod like that to. But, yeah. um, <laughs> Especially one that cameos Tom Hanks. Um, I mean, and comedies never get awards, you know, never get awards. It's um, by the fact it's very hard. Uh, and, she, and there are so, as a comedy, I, I found, sound like I'm going too deep in this, but for me, I guess I'm a bit like we talked about my friend Dell's. If it's scientifically inaccurate, he's out. Mm. Can't watch it anymore. For me, if I if a comedy is trying to sell itself like this film is as being real or part of it being real, and as soon as I detect it's fake, I'm out. If you sell me something as real and it doesn't feel real, yeah, I, I can't I can't watch. If you're selling me something that's you know obviously Lord of the Rings, right? It's not you're not trying to tell me that's reality. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but if you're trying to sell me Something like, um, yeah, like something like you know, a TV show like Night Kitchen Nightmares, for example. Yeah. yeah. As, soon, as soon as I get the feeling that this is actually self scripted and fake, mm-hmm. it, 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 that that suspension of disbelief is over, and I can't watch. Um, yeah. 
this film had me for most of it. There's a few times I'm like, is this real? Is this fake? It's not. There are some absolute winning scenes. A scene that I talked about that popped up in the news a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, where mm. um, Sasha Baron Cohen turns up to a, a lockdown protest and plays a set as Country Steve <laughs> and does some songs like uh, um, A Journalist, What We're Gonna Do, Chop Them Up Like the Saudis Do, you know. Um, oh, and, you know no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fauci, what we're going to do, inject him with the Wuhan flu uh, and stuff oh. like that. Um, oh. <laughs> so that was very, very funny. And there's a scene at uh, he, he takes his daughter to, to, to a, uh, a debutante ball where he and uh, he and the Tutard perform a, a dance all around menstruation. Um, and it is, again, that scene made me go, these people can't be real. They can't not be in a joke. You know, you watch it, you make up your own mind, but it was very funny. So there are a number of laugh at laugh. And the other one I really want to call out was he actually attends the conservative political action conference where Mike Pence is performing. And he dresses up as Donald Trump and has his daughter slung over his shoulder. And he's trying to, runs into the room to try and give his daughter to to Michael Pence. Um, That's kind of, gets a kind of, you know, stunt. But it yeah. does brilliantly well. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, so, look, it's on Prime um, mm-hmm. here, and I imagine globally. Um, it's it's above the quality of most of the kind of stuff you find in these sort of things. I mean, it's actually kind of, this would have got a cinematic release for sure, yeah. Yeah. not for COVID. So, look, if you like the kind of thing that Sasha does in the past, if you like the first one, for example, if you like kind of, you know, trolley stunty kind of movies where you know they're taking the mickey out of people who are very against stuff shirts in this case if you're a really big fan of donald trump and conservatives you're probably not going to enjoy it because he does kind of stick the boots in a fair bit yeah. um but there's still a number of laughs in this it's a funny movie not i it's right on the border of where it's just too dumb for me but like you know it was still yeah. good enough that i enjoyed watching it okay okay cool do you think you need to watch the first Borat to really understand anything, or is it standalone? Uh, no, I think it stands alone. But I, if you don't understand the Borat character, if you don't know who the Borat character is, um, I don't know. Big dive. You're going really in the deep end here. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think you. I mean, it's, it's the storyline stands alone. It's not like it's a yeah, you know, it's not like the two towers or something. Previously on Borat, and there is kind of a little bit of that because like, one of the first thing it covers off when he gets to America is now you're very famous and everybody recognizes me. And so it was a scene of him like people coming out the street going, "Hey, you're Borat, take a photo, man." Um, and him like sort of putting his jacket over his head, and so there's a scene where he goes to uh, a um a costume shop, a Halloween costume shop to buy a, a disguise in which someone tries to sell him an actual Borat Halloween outfit. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's called the Stupid Foreign Reporter Outfit. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm falling into jokes. Um, but, yeah, so like they do cover off the fact that the first one was very popular and he was he's, he's recognisable. But yeah, I don't understand why you would watch this film if you hadn't watched the first one, but I guess you could get away with it. Okay. All right. Do you want to just touch up on um, uh, Unsolved Mysteries? Yes. So um, 
we, I think we talked about this again a few months ago because I think it was only a few months ago that the the first new season of Unsolved Mysteries yeah. on Netflix. Um, uh, I feel like it was April or May um, that it came out, but um, maybe. Uh, let me just uh, anyway. But season two has landed, uh, which is kind of weird. Uh, July it was in July. How weird is that? It was in July. <sighs> Three months later, we have a new season when we have a um, one, two, three, four, five, six episodes, I think. Okay. Um, now, you weren't a huge fan of the first season. No, I liked it. I did. I really liked season oh. one, uh, except okay. for um, there's one episode right in the middle, and it's interesting. So you go through the first season, 7.8, 7.1, 8.2, 7.2, 5.8, eight, and 7.8. Guess okay. which one is the UFO episode? Mm, the 8.2 no it's a 5.8 so it's like oh. but these are generally um one hour sort of in the same similar start of the old show yeah uh, from the 80s with robert stack which i think i've talked about before is all on amazon prime if you want to go back and watch it and oh. when you when you do you don't really i don't remember as many ghost stories and ufo stories on this show i remember it said the true crime part was the part that always interested me uh and most of the episodes in, in unsolved mystery so five of the six in season one were sort of your unsolved crime sort of style mm. you know the first episode was a great one about a guy who had been found that he committed suicide um by jumping off a building but somehow managed to do one of these super jumps and like managed to jump so far he went for a roof of a building like 10 meters away or something crazy like that and he sh left his shoes on the top of the other building or something you know it's like <laughs> it's it's a great episode the first episode of season one is fucking brilliant because it's a hell of a story um a real unsolved mystery well, it, <laughs> not, the cops figure itself but um anyway so that's the kind of thing it would normally be about mm. and then in the middle of season when they dropped in the incredibly unconvincing ufo episode um a bunch of rednecks uh, yeah, well, when I get you know, divorced from my sister one time, and you know, like it's, uh, you're like, oh, why is it always the rednecks the freaking UFOs visit? Um, because the aliens know that no one will believe them. It's a cunning plan. Yes. Um, some of the episode of Simpsons where they spray Homer with rum and they drop him off the uh, UFO. Um, they never believe him. <laughs> Go ahead, waste your vote. Oh, oh, oh. Um, and so that was really annoying because, like, I was like, I was really into the show. I'm like, what is this shit? It was incredibly unconvincing and it was boring and I didn't like it. So, it seems like you and I are two sides of the same coin because I don't remember any of the based on real things episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. I only remember the supernatural ones. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'd maybe blocked them out of my memory because, like, it's just ridiculous. Um, then I've done the same thing here. So I've watched the first okay. four episodes of this season, and the first three are all really good and really fascinating sort of true crime-style episodes. And episode four is about ghosts who visited people in Japan after the tsunami. And I'm like, oh, God, so shit. Like, I mean, it's just, how does this qualify as anything remotely resembling an unsolved mystery? You're like, the whole time I'm like, oh, no, I saw this thing. And you're like, well, I think you can think of half a dozen explanations for what you just said. Yeah, but you can't disprove it either. <laughs> True. Very difficult <laughs> to disprove things. Um, you know, it's, it's like I watched a YouTube video of, of a conservative Australian girl who was bitching about getting pulled up at LAX airport. And they right. told her it was because she left Australia on her Australian passport and signed into the US on a US passport. And they're like, that's sus. 
Okay. And then like, oh, no, 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 no one could possibly ever have been watching me sign into my American passport and gone instantly and clicked the button and gone, oh, it's us. I'm like, it's done by computers, you idiot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yes, I can't disprove it, but, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I just popped it in my head as being equally two of, the <laughs> two of the most stupid things I watched on telly last week was this idiot conservative girl thinking that, that, that someone sitting there watching the records of a passport scanned at LAX and not a fucking computer. And the tsunami spirit. His name is Philip. <laughs> I think his name would be Jose. Have you ever <laughs> met anybody? They, they, it's it's a lot of uh, Hispanic people working at TSA. And what a that, fine job they do. That Not is really. that is a classic classic case of uh, westernizing any other culture. His true name is Jose, but they just looked at him and said, "Your name is Philip." Yes, like that, that might happen here. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, so four episodes in, I've got two. I'm saving two for the weekend. Okay. Um, if you like season one, you'll mm. probably enjoy it. If you like your true crime, I okay. think the first three episodes you're going to find fascinating. It's particularly a death in Oslo, which I, so what, what they've done here, which is a little bit more interesting, is that they've gone outside the US a little bit more, which is great. Cool. Um, but it's a cool story from lots of places in America. Who'd have thunk it? The death in Oslo being set in Norway, and because, I mean, I guess a, a lot of American stuff filters in here. So you kind of hear a lot of the cool American ones, but the stuff from places like Norway, I hadn't heard this story before. It's a wonderful, well, it wasn't wonderful for the person who got killed. But, um, you know, Spoilers. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story nonetheless. And it's a really, it's a real, it's a real brain teaser. And I know a lot of people that was in Reddit communities that it goes lights up when people are trying to solve this shit. But um, uh, I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it. It's high quality um the little re the reenactments are certainly a lot more convincing than the shitty ones they used to use in the 80s um <laughs> as i sort of said just be prepared for this stupid supernatural one right in the middle that makes absolutely no sense and is completely out of character for the rest of the series you just don't get it man so i was talking to someone about this the other day and they're like oh well, don't you like ufo stories i used to really love the x-files and i'm like no i love the x-files too at least the first few seasons but that was telling a story it was fiction yeah. You know, don't try and tell you don't be giving me a show that's got a again a little bit we talked about before like setting in, in, in the real world and you know, these are factual stories about real crimes that happen and then start telling me a ghost story or a ufo story it doesn't fit don't don't, don't break break the narrative of the story you know if you're gonna be you know it's so like oh we're, we're we're telling a story in lord of the rings okay cool cool wait why does that guy have a digital watch? <laughs> Why does that guy have a lightsaber? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it just doesn't fit the rest of a series. If you're going to yeah. make a series about UFOs and ghosts, yeah, fine. I mean, and what they did with the X-Files was really fresh and, and interesting and, and unique at the time. So, and I, I really loved it, um, but it doesn't fit this. So, um, and when someone tries to slot in a, a ghost story into a, a bunch of stuff that actually happened, I think it's kind of insulting to, to the rest of the series. Like it's, it's it doesn't belong. So um, it, it it's I know it's kind of fits the tradition <laughs> of, um, <laughs> of of unsolved mysteries, but um, I, I think they've a lot of a change. They've kind of filtered out a lot of the crap from the old series that didn't make a lot of sense, and they've mm. come up with they've come up with a much better show as a result. This one they should have probably left on the table. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right, nicely done. Well, I have uh, consumed a couple of things.
things. Um, first up, we had a reader or a listener um, send in a recommendation. His name is Nick. Um, I believe it was Nick. I'm just going to double check that because I don't want to sully his good name. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Where are you? Nightmare for Christmas. There we go. And, but regardless, he recommended watching a movie. Uh, yes, his name was Nick. Uh, so sorry, Nick. We don't know your surname, but thank you for the recommendation. Uh, it's called The Beast of War, also known as The Beast. It's uh, from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds. Yes, I'm pretty sure. It is the same Kevin Reynolds who did Robin Hood. I'm just going to double check that Prince right of Thieves. now. You mean the, uh, the, the um, he did Waterworld, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, yes. Yes. Count of Monte Cristo, Rapa Nui. He obviously liked working with Kevin Costner. Yep. But um, this, it, this was a, a movie that uh, I have never, ever heard of before. Mm. And he said, oh, it's fantastic. Roger Avery, who is a former writing partner of uh, Quentin Tarantino, absolutely loves this movie. And I can see why he loves this movie. And this is is a hard movie to watch because it's really fucking brutal. The, The basic story for anyone who doesn't know, and it's, you know, not a well-known movie is a Soviet tank and its warring crew become separated from their patrol and lost in an Afghan Valley with a group of vengeance seeking rebels on their tracks. So there are no Western people in this movie as heroes. In, in the sense of, oh, there's the Americans or there's the British, which you so typically get in war movies. This is the Russians and the Afghans and rebel factions. And so when you first meet the crew of the Beast, they are fucking psychopaths. And one of the, one of the um, uh, kind of rebels, he gets laid out, in front of the tracks of the the tank and he gets run over and it doesn't cut away it's fucking brutal it turned my stomach and it still turns my stomach because not only does he just run over this guy it is they position him and they put this kind of like the tracks of the uh, of the tank and they squeeze his feet right under so you know as soon as that tank starts moving forward the achilles tendon rips it just pain throughout and it doesn't get any easier to watch um the i guess you would call him the hero of the movie is jason patrick's character konstantin kovachenko um but honestly there really aren't any redeeming characters in this movie and i'm not gonna say too much about it because travis i think you'll love this movie it's an interesting story um i it's got stephen baldwin in it as well which is interesting yeah um and just that i've never heard of it either yeah um what an interesting production yeah um 88 so still cold war yep 
uh, Russians are still in Afghanistan in 1988. They started yeah. pulling out of Afghanistan that year and next year. Yeah. So what an interesting film to make um, in yeah. the sense that, like, you know, as you sort of said, like, I mean, who are you going to – I mean, like, it, it, and I suppose in that way, then a little bit like in Rocky Three, um, you might make the Mujahideen the, the, the heroes. You, and you certainly throw yeah. – I mean, but there's no there's no Rocky character in there. Sorry, Rambo no. character. Rambo. Did they say Rocky three? Something Rambo three. Yeah. Um, Rambo. Is that Rambo character going to be your protagonist, your hero to follow through the story and go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Mujahideen and Rambo are your heroes. Yeah. I assume the film spends a lot of time with the tank people. It it's it's fairly balanced because Jason Patrick's character is from the outset. Um, he is troubled by everything that his uh the captain um his name is george sunza uh plays dasky he is the he's a fucking he's he's like imagine marlon brando's um character from apocalypse now but instead of attempting to be this enlightened zen like weird motherfucker he just went, you know what? No, this is a Tarantino fucking story, and I'm going to fucking destroy everyone. I'm going to brutalize everyone in every way, shape possible. He is fucking cruel. Um, so Jason Patrick has got an unusual situation with it, but there's, despite the, the, the very American-looking characters... In, in, there's there's no other way of putting it when you've got people like Jason Patrick and Stephen Baldwin where they do they still look kind of Hollywood classic American actor. There there's still there's there's that kind of sense of the the harshness or the uh, the abruptness of what is presented as the Russian way of life. You know that that we don't take shit we don't talk bollocks we don't have jokes that 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 stereotype that was populated for so long especially with things like the arnold schwarzenegger jim belushi movies you know it's like mm. he has no sense of humor because oh he's he's the he's the weird russian guy there's there's a little bit of that to this but it's done in such a genuine and serious tone it's really hard to even when Jason Patrick is struggling with the things that he is being forced to do, it's like, you're not being forced that hard. It's not like you've got a gun to your head and being told, you either do this to that guy or I kill you. It's, I'm just going to berate you like fuck and no one else in this tank is going to have your back afterwards, which is a different type of psychological fuck-uppery. But... It's, 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 it's fascinating. It's quite fascinating that a film like this got a release. It got funded by a major studio in the US yeah. to be made. Like, why are you going to make a story about the Soviets? Afghanistan? Yeah. Who gives a crap? There used yeah. to be a, um, uh, a pair of cricketing brothers in Australia called the War Brothers, who's Steve War and Mark War. Mm -hmm. Steve War uh, was the older brother. They were twins. He was slightly older. Um, and, uh, you know, by minutes, hours. Um, he, he made his debut, I think, a few years in, in the late 80s. This is going somewhere. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, and despite the fact that his brother was insanely talented, Mark War didn't get a game for years and years and years. So he made his debut maybe four years or so after his older, after Steve did. Mm. Um, for years. So up until that point, until he got his test debut um, in 91, I think it was, um, he was, oh, his nickname was Afghanistan. 
because he was the Forgotten War. Um, oh, interesting. So I think it kind of tells you a little bit about the, the stature of Afghanistan in Western imagination in the 80s. Yeah, that's fair. It's that's not fair. something at the forefront of our imagination. So why a major studio thought people would be interested in seeing a story about, you know, such a, yeah. a an obscure uh, event which isn't involving the Americans at all. Yeah. Well, not, not, not directly, but we're involved. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, quite fascinating that something is only to get made. How did you watch it? Uh, YouTube. It is available to rent and buy. It's standard definition. There has not been a high-definition release of it. It is very difficult to come by. Nick has actually been petitioning the Criterion Collection to try and get them to help re-release this or or keep it alive in the in the modern streaming world. Um, it is nice that uh, YouTube have got it, and in spite of it being standard definition, still looks great. the The cinematography for this movie is on point. It is really good. It is hard. It is bleak. It is painful. It is beautiful. The one thing that does do this movie a disservice is the, the, it's going to sound weird to say it, but the atmospheric sound effects, like the opening is an attack on this Afghan village and it sounds so cheap. It sounds so cheap. The the sort of like the shells coming in from the tank, the explosions, the women crying and screaming. It doesn't sound right for, for the impact that we're being shown and for the story, the visceral nature of the movie that's being shown. It's, it's it just doesn't match up. After that, it gets better, but the the kind of the bigger set pieces they're missing that bombastic sound sound base to them that 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 fulfilled kind of noise um which is a real shame but i do i do hope that uh, nick is successful in his petition and if you're listening to this podcast if you're watching now please go and check this movie out because it's a really challenging movie to watch i would rate this as difficulty level close to but not quite requiem for a dream kind of wow okay it's hard to watch for for especially for certain people because there is a lot of physical torture there is a lot of psychological torture there is the genuine character complexity which is very rare in modern society even when you compare it you go oh well this sounds like the sort of storytelling that you get in the hurt locker or um any of the catherine bigelow war movies like no not really you do still have that kind of rallying point of a character that you kind of want to see come good or want to get behind and survive these guys they're generally kind of reprehensible um and it's 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 tough to watch it but it is very worthwhile it is very very good i do recommend watching it I did meet someone once in russia who fought in the war yeah okay fella flow helicopters okay. didn't have many nice things to say about the afghans fair enough fair enough uh, didn't speak Russian, so it really wasn't at a point you know, at a point where I can engage him and go. Yeah. You kind of invaded their country, mate. Yeah, never going to be real kind of people who invade their country. Have they? Kind of got a bit of a history. I kind of have a feeling that that's probably not the sort of conversation that you'd really have with someone you just meet either. <laughs> he, this bloke, carried around his order of the um, order of Lenin. Wow. The uh, military metal doohickey, like, that they gave out in a set. He carried it around with him. 
Wow. Okay. Quite happy to tell me, Liz. I'm very excited to tell me all as much as he, my friend translating could translate for me about what he what he did in the war. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting story. I wish I could have the proper conversation. But yes, you say it's not something you're going to kick back on them and go, yeah, push back on that unless you uh, never native language. But anyway, I will see if I can uh, source a copy, and if hmm. I have time, I will. It is it is worthwhile, and especially considering this was done in eighty eight, and um, Kev, uh, Kevin Reynolds, uh, not Kevin Reynolds, uh, what, what's his fucking name? I've just completely forgotten it already. Yeah, Kevin Reynolds, the director. Yeah, Kevin Reynolds. Um, he, um, this was just before Prince, uh, uh, Prince of Thieves. Three years before. Yeah, um, Jason Patrick had just come off of Lost Boys. Really, he was in that. Jesus. Yeah, and Steve uh, Stephen Baldwin has never really been a huge star, so there's no star power in this movie. It's like, how did this get made? I don't know. Obviously, it was probably fairly low budget, but this is yeah. the idea that they gave someone money to make a movie. Yeah, about Soviet soldiers. Yeah, it's in Afghanistan in the eighties. It's a fascinating um, project. So, thank you so much, Nick, for recommending it because it's a it's awesome. And if you've got any other recommendations, please let me know. I, I would really love to get a little bit Absolutely. more of you. And, and you too, like Nick, can get a shout out. If you've got something we haven't talked yes. about, but you think you can, you mean, you think you, I know it happens to me sometimes. I mean, listen mm. to a podcast, we, people will be out talking about stuff and be like, oh, you, you should be seeing this thing. And no one mentions it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, um, it's a great opportunity to shout out some of those lost gems. Uh, and yeah, you know, no one can know everything, right? So there's always yeah. little, 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 little ones like this that sort of slipped under the radar that you know about. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. You know, like for years, I've um. Uh, Triangle. You, you. I think you watched Triangle or something years yeah. ago. One I, I managed to, for, to pimp that film out to somebody new a couple of months ago. Um, it's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. Or Pontypool, which is the the thinking man zombie movie. I've, I've pimped that film out every chance I get. So mm-hmm. if you've got a film you'd like to pimp out uh, and feel free to let us know about it, jump on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. tell us about it or however you like. Yeah. Uh, Com- and comment on the Fry Brain Productions website as Nick did. Yeah, it's great. Now, the last thing that I want to quickly talk about, because I haven't finished watching it, is the new anime show on Netflix called Blood of Zeus. And as the name suggests, this is set in ancient Greece. And it follows one of the many, 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 many bastard demigod children that Zeus sired in his time, plaguing the female population of his seed. This is an interesting series because animation wise, it's pretty fucking stunning and if you've ever watched any of the old school manga movie releases um this has got a lot owing to uh one of my favorite anime movies called ninja scroll it's very simple hard lines hard colors beautiful animation very visceral and kind of uh, raw kind of storytelling in that movie it's a great movie but uh this is a this is a uh an eight episode series 30 minutes per episode on average and it follows a commoner living in ancient greece heron discovers his true heritage um as the son of zeus and his purpose to save the world from a demonic army 
it's got an interesting cast of voices in there. Some of the most kind of famous ones that we would likely know. There's Jessica Henwick, who um, was um, in uh, the Iron Fist series on Netflix. Um, was it Iron Fist? Yes, Iron Fist. Um, she was the saving grace of that. There's Claudia Christian, who was, you know, Commander Susan Ivanova in uh, Battles, uh, not, uh, Battlestar, Babylon 5, fantastic series. Don't let anyone else tell you wrong. I know Marshall loves her too. She's fantastic. Um, and it's got one of uh, one of my critical role connections in there, Matthew Mercer, as the voice of um, Hermes. It's an interesting story. It's a fun story. It's not one that you really need to engage in, but the it has got the cardinal sin. It telegraphs its stories and it telegraphs its big reveals way too soon way too soon it's like oh very quickly you see that heron is actually a twin of someone else and oh what a surprise yep they're the polar opposite of heron didn't see that coming but it doesn't even try to play these things off as big reveals or at least it doesn't for me um but it is an interesting story. It's a compelling idea. Um, it prefaces the whole series by saying that um, Greek, uh, ancient Greek stories were a, a very oral tradition, much like um, Aboriginal storytelling and things like that. And very much the, the the native speakers of many countries that you think of the Native Americans and uh, the well, I think any society that didn't have writing. Yeah. Um, it's well, a great you know, state, but, yeah. Yeah, but it was um, they're, they're talking about how it was so many of these stories got lost or twisted in time. And this is one of the ones that got lost in time. So they kind of divorced themselves from the stories that you probably have heard about involving Greek gods. And um, in that way, it gives itself license to re reevaluate many of the personalities and characteristics of a lot of the gods. And Why would you want to, you know, shackle yourself to a story that survived for, you know, thousands of years and still popular and remembered today when you could come up with something completely new from a couple of talentless American hacks who actually probably don't really understand uh, Greek mythology. But that's, that just makes, that actually makes a lot of sense rather than, you know, well, to someone who studied classical civilizations, Greek and Roman, for many years, it's there's a lot about uh, subjectiveness. So, um, you know, that take it with a grain of salt. Just it it divorces itself from that point, um, and so it just wants to tell a fun, interesting story. Um, so it's great that they they do that and the story is fun and engaging it's uh along the same veins as i i reviewed um some of the castlevania stuff that came out on netflix uh last year i think it was at this point that i last watched it um they're building up a good reputation for more adult based or adult orientated animation that's good quality animation and telling interesting stories, which is really what I want right now, because 
a lot of the stuff that's happening in the animation scene is generally a lot of revivals of stuff. Like we've got a revival of the Animaniacs and they're bringing in a lot of the talent back, which is nice. But okay, you know what? I don't need more Animaniacs. That's that's for the next generation. I d- I'm just not going to watch that. And uh, the new DuckTales, I watched some of that, and it's like, okay, they're doing some interesting things, but it's not my DuckTales. I'll let them go. This is something that's like, it's it's something that speaks to my heart. It's that Greek mythology. I love that kind of shit. Um, it's that classic style of animation, which is great. And it is designed for someone very much more my age, which is awesome. So if you've got some time, if you want to have something to kind of just have on and just have some cool set pieces that happen, some generally interesting, if predictable storytelling going on, this is a good show for you to check out. And I always endorse support the people who do Critical Role because they're fucking fantastic. Um, so he, Matthew Mercer doesn't get much much screen time, unfortunately, but it's still nice to hear his voice and go, hey, yeah. I, I just realized I know he does McCree in Overwatch. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's high noon. Um, yeah, okay. This is by the same people who did uh, Death Note, yes, which I think you didn't like. The, well, the the live action version of Death Note is tosh, frankly. It's 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 an interesting retelling of a great anime. The anime itself is fantastic. And they do no, it. Yeah, they did the, this is the live action version. So yeah. sounds like they've, they've turned a the corner then because this one seems to be quite highly rated, uh, um, 8.1. Yeah, it's it's doing it's doing well critically. I think that most people will probably find a lot of things enjoyable. It may very well be my curse of being able to predict story. But yeah, I, I think that most people will be able to go, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. Because that's the classic story of Greek mythology, Roman mythology, modern mythology. Everyone has an evil twin. <laughs> Not many twins in films that aren't evil. That's true. I mean, you know, The Simpsons summed it up perfectly. <laughs> um, you know, all the, you know, the old, I always go back to it, the uh, Knight Rider where um, David Hasselhoff would wear the moustache. Oh, that moustache. I love that. The evil David Hasselhoff wore a moustache, which is hilarious. So good. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we have run along because we uh, got sidetracked for the first time ever in Armchair Producers history. We got sidetracked. You can't prove us wrong. Shut up. But we um we are going to postpone our little uh, topic of conversation from last week about franchises from our childhood that remain good and are still producing content. We will talk about that next week. We will also talk about the wonderful, delightful, charming Big Trouble in Little China. And I'm sure that me and Travis will have some new content to talk about as well. But until next week, where we should be back to our regular Wednesday, 7 o'clock, 7.30 time frame, I'm George Terran. That is Travis Croft, the master of us all. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night.